So I'm going to start here in uh, the book of Jonah. Book of Jonah, that's my message for today. Jonah chapter 1. I'm just going to read through, I'm going to read through the first chapter and then I'll go, I'll go back over it. Um, <clears throat> so book of Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the son of Amittai saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it, to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. Then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea, to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down into the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us, that we perish not. And they said every one to his fellow, Come, and let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us. What is thine occupation, and whence comest thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am an Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless the men rode hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So Jonah here, God had told Jonah to go go to Nineveh. He sent him on a missions trip to Nineveh. Nineveh it was a big city. It was the capital of the Assyrian Empire at that time. This was around 750 BC, and it was the capital of the Assyrians, and basically the Assyrians were always attacking Israel all the time. It was the enemy, enemy territory God wanted him to go into. In fact, it was the capital city and the, the main religious center for their, their idols, their false goddess Ishtar, right? The false goddess Ishtar, that's who they worshipped, also known as the Queen of Heaven. 
uh, in Babylonian uh, religion. So it came, it's, it's related to the Babylonian uh, gods as well. So, uh, But it was basically their main capital city, religious center. So God said, go there and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And uh, let's just let me go over here. And the reason why God is sending someone into enemy territory to warn them is, if we look at Amos, in Amos chapter 3, verse 7, you don't, ha you don't have to f turn there, but it says, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. So God is not going to do anything unless he warns someone first. So, and, and also, like, he's done that with uh, giving us the, the Bible. He hasn't done anything but told us what's going to happen. What's it, like the, In Revelation, we have the future history of the world. He hasn't, he's not going to destroy the world. He's told, he's warned people that it's coming. You know, we've had 2,000 years to look at it and to be warned. So God will do nothing, but he reveals the secret unto the servants of the prophets. So he uh, sent Jonah to warn them that they were about to be destroyed, uh, Nineveh. So, but uh, Jonah did not want to go because he's going into enemy territory, I guess. So what he did was he rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and he found a ship going to Tarshish and paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now maybe Jonah didn't understand something about the Lord, but you cannot escape the Lord. You can't go anywhere to escape the Lord, but he thought he can escape. So he said, no, Lord, I'm not going. I'm not going to Nineveh. I don't want to go there. It's the enemy. You know, they don't like, they don't worship you. So I'm going to go to Tarshish instead. I'm going to try to escape, you know. And then, so see what happened. He doesn't want to do it, but God sent out a great wind into the sea and a mighty tempest, and almost to the point of making the ship sink, right? The ship was almost broken. It was like to be broken broken right so Jonah trying to uh, hide from God as it were um, if we look at uh, in Genesis chapter 3 verse 8 Genesis chapter 3 verse 8 we have Adam and Eve right so after they in verse 6 when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. So they're hiding from, trying to hide from God again. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. So, you know, I don't think the Lord, the Lord knows where he is. He's like, he wants Adam to tell him, you know, why, why are you hiding? Um, but if we, so now if we go to Psalm 139, so people are trying to hide from the Lord. Psalm 139. We go to Psalm 139. 
This is a, a psalm of David. So if we start with uh, verse 7, it says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. So David understood that you can't, there's nowhere you can go that the Lord isn't there. God is omnipresent, right? And that's, this is some of the good, best verses in the Bible that shows us God is everywhere at the same time. Omnipresence, right? So David understood, even if you end up in hell, God's there. In fact, it, it, like some preachers will say, well, hell is separation from God. No, it's not. God's everywhere. He's in hell. He's in heaven. He's everywhere at one at the same time. Uh, and in Revelation, it says hell's, hell is like the fires of hell is from the glory of the Lord. It's God's glory providing the flames in hell. You know, so it's not separate. And, for, and it also says in Revelation that the people who take the mark of the beast and the uh, f the false prophet and the antichrist will be tormented day and night in the presence of the Lamb and the holy angels. So there's no escape from God there, right? All right. So let's go to Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 23. So, <clears throat> in verse 23, so Jeremiah 23, 23, says, Am I a God at hand, saith the Lord, and not a God far off? Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do I not do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? So the Lord sees everything. He's every he fills heaven and earth. So his spirit is everywhere, and you can't hide from him. So that's what it says. So and then in Proverbs fifteen. Proverbs 15, verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. So everywhere. Again, that's another good verse for om proving the omnipresence. He sees everything. He can't get away with anything. So let's see here. And... Uh, and the well-known verse from the New Testament that we use a lot, Matthew 18, 20 says, For where, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. So again, because uh, he's omnipresent, he can be everywhere at once. And everywhere there's a gathering in his name, he's in the midst of us right now. So, and then let's go to Job 34. Job 34, and verse 21. For his eyes are upon the ways of man, and he seeth all his goings. 
There is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniqu- where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. So there's no place to hide is what it's saying from God. He sees everything. He sees all things. There's no you know you might not like to hear that, but um, even when you're you know in private, he's still there with you. He's still watching you at all times. <laughs> you know you might think twice about you know, doing things in secret if you knew who's watching <laughs> at all times. Okay, so let's go back to uh, Jonah again, chapter 1. I'll pick up where I left off here. So there was a mighty tempest in the sea so that the ship was to be broken. And then, so if we get to verse 7, they said, everyone to his fellow, come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Now, casting, casting lots, we've seen, we see this in the Bible a few times. Uh, casting lots in, was a method that they used to decide to let God decide things. So it's sort of like rolling a dice. It's sort of like rolling dice. It's like, like the modern day equivalent of that would be rolling dice. Uh, and to see what, the, what God's decision would be on certain matters. And we see that in Leviticus chapter 16. The first time we see it in Leviticus chapter 16. it says and Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering which is for himself and make an atonement for himself and for his house and he shall take the two goats and present them for the Lord before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation and Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat and Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. So this is how they would decide which of the two goats would be, which one's going to be let go as a scapegoat and which one's going to be for the sin offering, which is a sacrifice, right? So he would cast lots. I don't know exactly how that process is done, but it comes to be like a sort of a 50-50 chance on which one it would pick. So sort of like maybe, I don't know, spin a wheel or something, which one, whichever one comes up, or roll a dice. If it, it's one to three, then it's the left guy. If it's four to six, then it's the right guy. Something to that effect. Some type of random, uh, a, sort of a random chance. Uh, because the, what they were doing was, if it's a random result that they're looking for, then the Lord can influence. The Lord is going to be influencing that and telling us, okay, the Lord chose, it's not a random chance, it's what the Lord's choosing, right? It may look to us to be random, but it's actually the Lord choosing which one, which one's going to be picked. So that's what casting lots is. And again, they do that in in the book of Acts, we see that as well. In Acts chapter 1, this was after Judas 
<clears throat> after Judas killed himself, they had to replace one of the apostles, one of the 12 apostles. So it says, okay, let me start in uh, verse 20. Um, okay, verse 18, this is talking about Judas. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. That's what happened to Judas. He purchased this field, and then he <clears throat> killed himself. He hung himself, I believe. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, as Aseldama, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. So his bishopric is his apostleship. It says in Psalms, it says Psalm 69.25 is where that's from. So it's, it's a prophecy of Judas. 69.25 says, let their habitation be desolate, and let none dwell in their tents. Um, so it says in his bishopric, let another take. It doesn't say that in Psalm 69.25, <clears throat> but it's bishopric is his office of the apostle. So, wherefore, of these men, which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justus, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. This sounds like it might be a voting. It might have been a vote. Uh, but uh, the result of the vote was, uh, was taken as the Lord's decision. So casting lots in that case, they're letting the Lord decide who's going to replace Judas. And then, and then the other, uh, you might remember that uh, the Roman soldiers cast lots to determine who was to how to uh, divide Jesus's clothing amongst them. So even the Romans were casting lots at that time, and they they're not believers. So it it was a practice done at that time. I guess even the pagans were were doing it too, but it was casting lots is in the law of Leviticus. So it's God is. Uh, the, the, the biblical method of, ca of making decisions, casting lots is approved by God, right? But we don't see it after the day of Pentecost. Acts 1 was the last time, I believe, in the Bible that anyone did casting lots for anything because now, now we have the Holy Ghost to that's supposed to guide us. We don't need to cast lots to guide, to guide us anymore. So, that, so that's what they were doing in Jonah, casting lots. And then the lot fell upon Jonah. So the Lord's like, he's the guy that's causing, <laughs> he's causing your boat to be, you know, the storm to like almost <clears throat> shipwreck you, right? So there's, they say, you know, we know it's you. So tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? And what is thine occupation? And whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people art thou? 
So he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said they unto them, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? So he's basically telling them, so in Jonah, he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you, for I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. So, but nevertheless, the men rowed hard to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was tempestuous against them. So the Lord's making sure they can't get to land. Uh, they know that Jonah's the result of that. Uh, he's trying to hide from God, <clears throat> and they can't. there's no escape. So, wherefore, they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into the sea, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. So that worked, right? They got rid of Jonah. They got After they had actually gotten rid of a lot of stuff on the boat too. They had first they tried to, you know, get rid of. Uh, it says they cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it. That's in verse five. They're trying to lighten the load, but Jonah was still there, so that didn't work. They tried to row it to land, but that didn't work because Jonah's still. There. So then they had to. They had to do it. That was the only, their only choice. And Jonah told them, you know, I better, I better <laughs> get off the ship. That's the only way the ship is going to survive. So Jonah volunteered to be cast off, so they cast him out into the sea, and then that fixed their problem. So then they can go on their way, right, back in, on the way to Tarshish. But <clears throat> uh, in verse 17, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So we've got Jonah, it was prepared. Uh, it says the Lord had prepared a great fish. So it was... He was he was ready with this fish. As soon as Jonah went into the water, he the fish uh, swallowed him, right? So and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So this is sort of a what you can see here is if the Lord tells you to do something and you don't do it, this is the chastisement. This is this is an example of chastisement of the Lord. Right, so in Hebrews um, 12, where it says, "For whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth." 12, verse 6, and scourgeth every son whom He receiveth. If you endure chastising, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father ch chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. So. It says God's going to chastise the believer, and this is an example of that. Jonah refused to do what God told him to do as a prophet. Uh, he was given a, a mission. He refused it. So God said, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, this is what's going to happen to you. You're not going to, you're not going to hide from me. You're not going to get away. You're going to do what I want you to do. So we put him into the fish three days and three nights. So there's certain uh, examples in the Bible where we see God 
choosing someone to do a specific thing. And Jonah t- says, you can't refuse that, right? You don't want to, if you refuse that, he's gonna, you're gonna, something bad's gonna happen to you, right? So, um, an example of that in the New Testament would be the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter nine. Acts nine fifteen. So uh, after Paul was. Uh, um, had seen the Lord uh, in the, on the road to Damascus, right? And then the Lord gave a vision to Ananias and told him to go find Paul. And then in verse 15 it says, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So it was an, he was a chosen vessel. Paul was a chosen vessel. He had a mission directly from the Lord to go out and preach the gospel to every creature. He, he, he was chosen, you know, because the Lord knew that he was going to be able to go out and start all these churches across, across Asia, right? So there's that example of the Apostle Paul being chosen to do something. And in his case, he, he didn't refuse. He did what he was supposed to do. And uh, in in chapter 13, it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. So the Holy Ghost would tell them, Separate these guys out for the work. Right At that point in time, the Holy Ghost was talking to people. People could hear the Holy Ghost speaking there to separate Barnabas and Saul. So we have that. And then in Acts 16, verse 6, when Paul was going out, it says, When they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. So they wanted to go to Asia. The Lord said, the Holy Ghost said, No, you can't go there. So they went elsewhere. They went after they, instead of going to Asia, they went somewhere else. So they were being told directly by the Lord where they needed to go. Um, this was their like they were on a specific mission to, to go to specific places where the gospel would be preached, probably to maximize the spread of the gospel. And if maybe if they had gone into Asia, we don't know what would have happened. Maybe there was more persecution there. Maybe it was less receptive at the time. We don't know, but God knows, and that's He said, "No, don't go to Asia. Right? You know, we don't want you to go there. He, he doesn't want you to go there, right?" So Paul was chosen to do a specific mission, just like Jonah, and uh, and in, if you look in um, some of the letters Paul wrote, he calls himself Paul, the prisoner of the Lord. A lot of times, he's considered himself the prisoner of the Lord. Because he was chosen directly by the Lord to fulfill this mission, and he didn't have—he didn't think he had a choice about it. He probably knew the uh, the story of Jonah and what happened to Jonah when he refused, right? So he considered himself the prisoner of the Lord um, to do all these things. So he was—he knew if he refused, that something bad would probably happen to him too. So, uh, so, so now we have Jonah in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now this here is mentioned in the New Testament in Matthew 12. Matthew 12, verse 
Matthew 12, verse 39. So I'll start with 38. It says, Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So that <clears throat> uh, the fact that Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights it was a pro, sort of a, a foreshadowing of what would happen with Jesus, who was in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. He was dead for three days and three nights. So it was a reference back to Jonah, because that is what happened to Jonah. It was a picture of what was going to happen with Jesus, right? So Jesus was telling them, that's the sign. That's the only sign that's going to be given to you, the sign of the prophet Jonas, that he'll be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So when people are asking for a sign, and there's people today that are saying, well, do you have like a, a special word from the Lord to prove, you know, to prove uh, thing that everything's true or whatever? <clears throat> you know, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, but there shall be no sign given to it. And that the sign of his death, burial, and resurrection is the sign that we've got, <clears throat> we've already got. And that's what we're supposed to tell people about the death, burial, and resurrection you already got the sign, and that's it, right? Just like in Luke 16, where the uh, <clears throat> the the uh, rich guy that went to hell, right? He he wanted someone to come. He wanted uh, you know someone to come and uh, preach to his family, and he said, "Well, you know that's not going to happen because they have Moses and the prophets, right? Let let them hear him. It's the Bible that they have. That's the so that's the only sign that's going to be given according to this." <clears throat> you know, it's the Bible. We already have the Word of God. We don't need anything extra. There's no extra signs coming. We have it all here, right here. It's all sufficient. We already know what's going to happen because it's it's foretold in Revelation. And as as we get closer to the time, we'll know it becomes even clearer, right? The closer you get to those events, so we see. <clears throat> all right, so Jonah one. He didn't escape God. He ended up in the <clears throat> belly of the fish three days and three nights. And uh, so we have the other, the topic of escaping God here in, in Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> we, we see here in the <clears throat> Philippians 2 verse 8 says, And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. This applies to atheists, it applies to everybody, You've got a choice. You either 
do it on your on God's terms, or if you want to do it on your own terms, that's that's another thing you don't want. You want to be doing it willingly, right? But everyone is going to be confessing Jesus, even the atheists today who don't believe. They believe, you know, nothing created everything, which is, is you know, that's pretty. I don't know how you could believe that, really. That nothing can create everything? It's impossible. That's impossible, right? Even scientists are coming to the conclusion that something's off with the universe, that it shouldn't exist. There was a, a news story not too long ago about that. The scientists say, well, the universe as it exists now shouldn't exist. They can't explain why it exists. So there has to be, a lot of scientists are coming to the conclusion there must be a creator. Because that's all, and we know why it exists. It's the word of God that upholds all things, is what it says in the Bible, right? But the scientists, they don't want to believe it. They want to always try and find some truth that they think they can find, but they'll never gonna, they're never going to find it because they've never found anything that uh, contradicts the Bible. So, it, <clears throat> so in Revelation 20, uh, we're going to see what happens here to the people that don't believe Revelation 20, verse 11. And this is after <clears throat> the heaven and the earth are destroyed, after Satan is loosed out for a thousand years. After all that, <clears throat> in verse 11, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. So the earth and the heaven destroyed. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So this is what happens to those atheists who don't believe. This is what's going to happen to them. They, it isn't, you know, lights out and nothing. It's going to be, they're going to wake up and, and this is, the judgment is going to happen. They're going to they're be kneeling and swearing that Jesus Christ is Lord. But because they didn't trust him while they were alive, they didn't trust in his sacrifice for their sins on the cross, then they've rejected the gospel, and they're going to be sent to the lake of fire. So that's what happens to them. So it's far better to choose to accept the gospel, and you're not going to escape God either way, but it's, you're going to be in heaven, rather be in heaven than in hell, right? So the only anti-aging product we need is the book of, is the word of God, right? Because whosoever believeth in Him shall never die. You know, our bodies may die, but we will never die. Our spirits will always be alive. And uh, let's see. Let me go to Second Peter, chapter three. And this speaks to the reason why the Lord would send Jonah to Nineveh to warn them that they were going to be destroyed. Because it says in verse uh, chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, 
<clears throat> as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So the Lord does not want people to end up in hell. He doesn't. He wants. He's. He's not lazy about making the end times happen. He doesn't want the end times to happen as long as people are, keep getting saved, right? I, you know, it keeps being delayed. People, every generation thinks that this is the end times, right? They've thought that for a while, but of course we're closer to it now than before. But he, because he wants everyone to believe on him, he's giving people a chance, right? So he's delaying. He, he wants to delay his coming as far as he can. But of course, there's going to come a time when that time is going to run out because Satan is going to force his hand. Satan's going to arrange things so that man is about to destroy himself because Jesus said if those days were not cut short, no flesh would be saved. Everyone would die, and God doesn't want that. So he wants as many as possible to be saved. So uh, I'm going to end there on that.